And go and have a seat, everybody. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and get it open to John chapter 18. Uh, as you do, let me just add that um, if you want to, you can follow along on the Bible app, the Version Bible app. Uh, you just go to, uh, you open it up, then you hit more, then you hit events, then you find our deal and click. And you can kind of follow along with me uh, as we go along because we get to launch a new series today. And let me just say a word of thanks to DJ for uh, pinch hitting for me last Sunday. My wife and I were in, uh, yeah, give him a hand. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's a blessing to have people uh, that are willing to go to bat for you and do such a, a great job uh, because it makes it easy to, to let go a little bit. And uh, in this season that we're in uh, here, time of transition and all that, uh, you know, there's always a little bit of that sense of, of just, okay, I hope everything goes fine because it is a beautiful chaos on Sunday mornings here at NBC when we're setting up and everything. And those of you who've, um, who are, are here and, and you're showing up and you're, you're cheering everybody on and encouraging everybody, let me just say a word of thanks uh, to you too for, for everything you do. Yeah. Um, there's great progress going on down on Grand. If you haven't been down there recently, go down there and take a peek. Um, we'll give you a big comprehensive update probably here in a couple of weeks. We'll have a big chunk to give you, but uh, God is on the move. Uh, he's blessing our church, and I want to just start with that because uh, this series, I think, is really going to, to, to be able to be a blessing to you guys. Uh, one of the reasons that we believe so strongly in what we're doing down on Grand Avenue there is because one of the things, only many, that this does is it gives the truth, and by the truth we define that as Jesus, uh, a voice permanently in a very prominent spot in a very important part of our area here. Uh, And so to be able to get a seat in the town square uh, indefinitely in a hearing for the gospel on a weekly basis is something that is uh, rather breathtaking, actually, in its opportunity. Uh, But with that comes the sacred responsibility to interpret the truth properly, uh, and to learn how to love people well enough that when we, as we communicate the truth and help people understand the truth, that we do that in a way uh, that is uh, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, as Jesus would say, and that we tell the truth in love. So this is a new series called Truish. I'm going to walk you through that, that graphic uh, toward the end of the sermon today. Uh, but I'd like to just begin with a game this morning. Um, I'm going to give you a, uh, a, a, I'm going to ask you a question, and you tell me if it's true or false. The Bible is the most shoplifted book in the world. True or false? Oh, come on, get, have some guts, people. Let's go. True. Okay, we got a lot of trues. Anybody say false? Wrong. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, the Bible is the most shoplifted book in the world. Now, that's ironic, isn't it? Um, that is a great little just snippet that I go, that's kind of the symptom of the culture, isn't it? The world we live in. On the one hand, you're like, that's wrong of them to do. On the other hand, it's like, sounds like they need it. Go, to, go ahead and take it, you know? Have you ever noticed that it's hard to throw a Bible away? Have you ever done that? Uh, you know, you're moving or something like that. You realize I've got 30 Bibles lined up on my shelf, and, and I don't, I, I'm like, boy, nice day, but I can't throw it in the trash. That feels bad. Uh, there are certain places, times, experiences you don't feel comfortable reading your Bible. It's kind of like, yeah, it feels sacrilegious to do that. What is it that gives us that, that sense? Um, what is it that makes, gives us that sense of right and wrong? That's just wrong, we say. 
I was on a flight back from New York this week, and I had a passenger next to me, and we're supposed to be, it's not first class, but it's that one where you get to buy your specific seat. Uh, you know, that little upgrade where you can actually pick your seat where instead of just being herded into the plane like cattle and every person for themselves. I, I, I said, this is a six-hour flight. I need to know where I'm sitting. And I'm kind of a tall, lanky dude, and, and I need leg space. So on, now these days on planes, they really cram in there pretty tight, so it gives me three extra inches of leg room. I was very excited. And uh, I get in there, and the guy next to me uh, comes in. He and his wife get there. She's on the window. He's in the middle. He pulls a blanket out, a full-blown blanket, and cuddles himself up. And he puts his foot up right on the bridge. between. I'm in the aisle. between. On the, it's like sandwiching the chair in front of me and the chair in front of him, which makes it hard for me to put my tray up or down, for one thing. And it's going to push the, both seats in front of us. Plus, I have to look at his foot the whole time. And he's cuddling up, and then he turns. He doesn't turn toward his wife. He turns toward me. <laughs> Open mouth. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like making this weird Chewbacca noise in my direction as he wheezes and sleeps. And I was planning on polishing up this particular sermon on the plane, but I couldn't do it because it's hard to think philosophically and about you know, Hegel and truth and all this with that going on. So I ended up like Netflixing my way back home because I couldn't concentrate. But that sense of, that's wrong. Don't do that. Where did I get that? It annoys me, right? That's how I define truth. It bothers me. You shouldn't do that. We use that phrase, actually. I heard it several times. I heard it in the classes I was taking. Your truth. Live your truth. What's your truth? Like, how, how does one get one's own truth? What happens if my truth and your truth collide? What happens if there's three of us and your truth, their truth, and my truth all collide? Like aisle seat, middle seat, window seat. But it's about something a lot more important than manners on an airplane. It's about ethics, right, wrong, marriage, gender, politics, climate, things that we all fight over these days, right? Well, that's where our own version of your truth breaks down, right? Then nobody wants anybody to have their own truth. That only applies to, like, religion. We just decide that's where we're going to have the fight. You do your thing, I'll do mine. Let me kind of just talk you through a couple of things, okay? Because the truth really has fallen in hard times, and we've really confused ourselves. It makes it very hard for us to get anywhere as a result. Our struggle with the truth has kind of led us to a, uh, what I'll call a Hegelian moment. Now, those of you who aren't familiar with Hegel, I'm going to ask you to indulge me. I'm going to give you a philosophy class in about 60 seconds. It will help you understand why we tend to do things in ethics the way we do. Okay, so George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. That's a good German name, isn't it? It's about as German as you can get. Throw in an Adolf or a few other things, and you'd end up with the most German name of all time. <laughs> Hegel basically, his major contribution to the world of philosophy was the idea of the, the thesis, the antithesis, and, and you put those together and you end up with a synthesis. I like, uh, I'm going to oversimplify for a bit. Peanut butter's the best, no chocolate is, and you end up with the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Vanilla ice cream is the best. No chocolate is, and you end up with, with chocolate chip ice cream. And so you end up with this position that says, hey, this is what's right. And somebody else goes, no, 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 this is right. And what you end up doing is creating a synthesis. It's a, it's a, it's a hodgepodge of things. So 
I'll give you an example. There is an absolute truth. There is no absolute truth becomes live your truth. It's like right in the middle, right? It's, it's like we're going we're gonna to kind of throw these things together and synthesize them. Jesus is the only way to God. There is no God. Becomes, there are many ways to God. Right? So what ends up happening, though, and, and people don't realize this, there are a couple of real problems with this when you start putting it toward things that matter. Now, if it's about, hey, Helen, should we, uh, we're going to go out to dinner in a movie, how do we pick the, where we eat and do the movie? Well, you pick the dinner, I'll pick the movie. Okay, that's a compromise. That's what we do in society to make things move. But when you get to ethics, the problem is the field goal posts keep moving, right? You meet in the middle, now that's the new thesis. So then the next move becomes, this is what's true, right? There are many ways to God. Now the antithesis becomes, maybe there are no ways to God, and then you keep moving it. So then the new center becomes here. You do that over four or 500 years, you end up with some crazy stuff. Really strange things. Just made of the continued kind of harmonization of things. Uh, if you disagree with me, let's just say that... Uh, you were on trial for a murder you did not commit. And instead of having a trial, they just said, hey, you know what? He's guilty. He's not guilty. Let's just give him 10 years. They just threw you in jail. Who cares? Just compromise, right? That's what we need to do. Help everybody get along. So everybody just gets 10 years. Doesn't matter if you're guilty or not. See, there's some break point for everybody involved where you have to go, no, there's something that's true and there's something that's not. And when you start doing this with things that really, really, really matter, I mean, you can do it with, hey, should we get Thai food or Mexican food? But you meet in the middle over and over and over and over and over again on things like, say, gender or sexuality or marriage or climate change or immigration or religion or politics or faith. And what it does is it leads you into the really what's the, the fatal problem with that way of doing ethics is that uh, you think that you can actually create truth by doing that. But in reality, what you've done is you've created a compromise. You've not created the truth. So I can believe that God does or doesn't exist. It doesn't make God exist or not. He either exists or he doesn't. Now, I can choose to believe whether he does or not. I can follow where I think the evidence is leading me. But I don't create the existence of God by believing in him or not. But what it does is when you kind of make those compromises over and over and over again, you end up thinking to yourself, oh, okay, this is the truth now. In reality, it's not the truth. It's the compromise you made to kind of get by. So in some cases, the answer is that in a free society, that's the kind of thing that you, you need to do. You need to make those compromises. But we need to understand that when we do so, we're making compromises, not making truth. So again, there, there are a couple of different problems if you try to do it that way. One is kind of, you know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the slippery slope argument, but there are times where that happens. Like I said, over centuries, if you keep meeting in the middle, now the middle becomes the new right, all right? So the middle keeps moving, and it keeps moving, and it keeps moving, and it keeps moving. Uh, and that can become a real problem on things that really do matter, on weighty matters. But the other is, again, truth can't really be made. Truth isn't something you make. It exists independent of our perception of it. So what I believe to be true doesn't alter the truth. 
What I believe about the existence of God doesn't actually make God exist or not. He exists. Now I need to decide what I'm going to do with that. Truth is not made. It's embraced, it's dismissed, or it's discovered. But it's not created. So I can't make a truth. I can't, what I mean when I say my truth, or whatever, is not that everything I feel is true. What I mean is it's true for me. But that's just subjectivism. That's just kind of basically what, what it is. I've created a little world, a little planet, on which my own laws govern this planet. Which is fine if I was on the earth by myself. But even if I was on the earth by myself, did I actually create the truth? No. I created a way for me to get by in the world that I created for myself. Now, you're sitting here going, okay, what are you talking about, dude? Let me bring it back. I wonder if the solution to our current problem, when you have people on different sides of different issues, isn't necessarily to alter the truth and find the middle to everybody's liking, but to work graciously to expose everybody to whatever the the truth is and believing the words of Jesus that the truth sets people free. Truishisms are things we say that have some truth in them, but they aren't really true. They're kind of true, kind of not true. They're true-ish. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm at a funeral of a person who, who never knew the Lord and lived a pretty reprehensible life and did a bunch of things, and their family comes up to me and says, yeah, well, at least everybody goes to a better place. Everybody goes to a better place. Interesting. You know, that's probably a truishism if you're a, a biblical Christian. Some people go to a better place. Do all? God just wants me to be happy. Is that true or false? Well, yeah and no it depends on what makes you happy it depends on on uh you know where heart is with him where you find your delight and your happiness you know those kind of things right it's it's kind of like yeah you're close man you're close but not quite or can we round that out can we so we're going to take a look at several of those things things we say that float around in the air of the time we're living in. Um, and we're just going to begin today with just an introduction to the truth. Now, truishisms are sometimes good at helping people figure out a way to move together, but they cannot reinterpret reality. So, for instance, raise your hand if you believe in the law of gravity. Okay, now, apparently a couple of you don't. That's okay. <laughs> uh, good. I wish you were sitting in the front, okay? Let's just say that I did not. I don't believe in the law of gravity. That's your truth, okay? And I've never done stage diving in church, but today I think is the day. So let's just say that I, 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 I say, you know, look, you believe in the law of gravity, I don't. Uh, so I'm just going to get a running start, and I'm jumping. And I don't, I'm not coming, don't worry. I'm not going to fall on you. I'm going to float. There's no, there's no such thing. Right. Well, everybody in here is going, that's ridiculous, it's stupid. Well, and then I said, okay, well, okay, well, what if I, then let's meet in the middle. Uh, I, I, I jump, and I very softly glide down. <laughs> I'm virtually weightless in your hands, okay? How about that? 
No, man, look, you're going to jump and you're going to go thud. Okay, you're going to get hurt if you do that. Well, who said you get to make all the rules? I mean, why are you trying to keep me from being able to fly? Okay? Does that make sense? Why? You can't, you can't tell me I can't fly. You understand that? I mean, like, how narrow of a person can you be? You legalistic Pharisee. You can't tell me that. All right? I am going, I'm going to do it, and how dare you? Okay? It's that absurd if you read the Scriptures, to keep moving the goalpost toward the one undeniable truth of the Bible that exists, and it's this. That Jesus is the truth. And there is no other way to the Father except through Him. So even if a person meets in the middle, they're claiming something about Jesus that Jesus said is not true. So to even include Jesus in the true category at all, To even move to the middle, to use them as a point of reference would be wrong. Now, let's just think about why the truth matters. And we're going to open our Bibles to John 18. Very short scene. Um, And it's very familiar to many of us, but I want us to take a, a closer look at it this morning. The reason the truth matters as much as it does at a ground level is because what we believe determines how we live, and how we live reflects what we actually believe. So we're going to do John 18, we're going to read verses 37 to 40 together. I want to, I'm going to stop sporadically and point out a few things as we go. Verse 37, Pilate said, so you were a king. Now this is Jesus standing before Pilate, about to be condemned to death, okay? Now the reason he's here is because they couldn't find him guilty of a particular sin. He's really here because they've tried to label him as an insurrectionist. And we're going to point out why that's a, a problem and how we do the same types of things and how we do ethics. So they've basically gone to Pilate and says, oh, he says he's a king, so that Rome will kill him. Pilate says, so you're a king. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth... Recognize that what I say is true. Amen. Ooh, that's a good one. Now here's Pilate. This is a great Roman uh, philo- uh, philosophical school kind of question. What is truth? Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No! Not this man, we want Barabbas. And then in parentheses, Barabbas was a revolutionary. So they bring Jesus up on charges of being a revolutionary, and then they ask that they release a revolutionary in exchange. That's weird. Okay, a few quick observations. Jesus says he came to testify to the truth. The truth does matter. The truth matters. To God. How much so? Jesus says here it was one of the reasons he came to earth was to testify to what was true. It also is important to note that to love Jesus is to love truth. He says, All who love the truth recognize the truth of what I say. If you love me, you love the truth. And if you love the truth, you're going to love me. 
You know, the church is called elsewhere the pillar of truth. So when I look around and I see Christians being very afraid of, of, of teaching what the Bible teaches to be true, I get discouraged by that. I'm not the pillar of truth. We're like the, maybe the whisper or, you know, the, 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 we're the meet in the middle people. It's where we've become. And there are some things, especially these core truths. Now, there are things that I think are open for debate. There are things that you, I think Christians can talk about and debate, and you actually can disagree on some things and be okay. But this isn't one of them. Whether or not truth exists is not one. Whether Jesus is the truth and the only way is not, an, is not one. Right. Now, from a Christian perspective. Now, Pilate's response here may be the question of our age. What is truth? Scripture teaches that the truth is a person. Not a set of precepts. It's a person. Jesus. Who he was, what he said, what he did. Who he is right now at this moment and who he will always be for all eternity. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And he says nobody comes to the Father except through him. Here it is, John 14, 6. Jesus tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He's saying, I'm the, I'm the truth. We even use that as a joke now. We'll say, oh, yeah, man, that guy's the truth. It's a way of saying uh, about somebody, they're a great athlete. They're my favorite performer. They're the prettiest person, or whatever. We'll even jokingly use that as a, as a, a thing. Well, it comes from here. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And the reason he doesn't have a problem with it is for this reason. He says it earlier in John chapter 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is freedom? As he do, as, the truth is to, to believe what Jesus said and to do it, to remain inside of his teachings, to abide in what he says, and he says, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth doesn't enslave. Truth liberates. That's how he sees it. He says, you want to be a slave, just go around listening to whatever you feel or desire. You're a slave to your desires. You haven't been set free from anything because you're still a slave to yourself. You've handcuffed yourself to yourself, and you're not going anywhere. But freedom is found in Jesus Christ to realize that all my sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. And that he's given me a way to walk on a daily basis that's characterized by truth, by justice, by compassion. And that every time that I follow the way of Jesus, I am doing the freest thing I can do. I'm walking in freedom. I'm not walking in slavery. When I walk in truth, he says, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And yet, humanity has a very long history of self-deception about truth. We often prefer the wrong that we agree with. You prefer it rather than the truth that makes us uncomfortable. Pilate finds Jesus innocent, but they prefer the guilty who believes the same way they do to the innocent man who thinks differently. To the point that they're willing to see him murdered. 
They don't just do the Hegel bargain. They don't just go, well, you think your way and we'll think ours. They want Jesus killed. And they want a guilty man set free. We're masters of self-deception, right? In the past, when I, I've served as a college professor, as an adjunct guy, and, and, and I always thought, you know, I'm, I'm an above-average professor. Just looking at the other teachers I've had, going, surely I'm not that bad, or whatever, you know, and I kind of boost myself up. Recent study revealed 94% of college professors say they're doing a better than average job. (laughs) And it's not just the professors. A survey of 1 million high school seniors found 70% thought they were above average in leadership ability, and only 2% thought they were below average. In terms of the ability to get along with other people, all students thought they were above average. Literally every single one, more than a million of them. 60% thought they were in the top 10%. 25% thought they were in the top 1%. And here's why this matters. Because our truth, when it's exposed, we realize eventually all it is is a way for us to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We have no idea what's true and what's not when it's focused on ourselves. I mean... We all have things that we want to believe are true that provide a great deal of meaning to us. Things that we find and have a real interest in making sure that that remains the truth. That's what the Pharisees did to Jesus. He came and said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You guys are liars. You guys are like these empty graves or whatever. And they go, oh yeah? Well, this guy's an insurrectionist. They didn't believe that, nor did they care. They would have killed for an insurrectionist. In fact, the Messiah was supposed to be an insurrectionist. They're doing it to preserve their own truth. That's the truth. And that's where you end up. So, if it's in my interest to believe that, hey, I'm, I'm in a vibrant, growing marriage. I'm in a, I'm a great father. I'm a great employee. I'm a great fill-in-the-blank all right, and I derive a lot of meaning from that, then I'm going to act in ways that keep that true. And I will believe whatever I have to believe to make that true. Even if something comes out from the other direction, right? So if my wife says, oh, honey, you know, you're, you're a workaholic or you're this or you're that, I'll just say she's being overbearing. That's her problem. She's overbearing. You know, does she understand how lucky she is to have me as a husband? Right? <laughs> you know, you just have these things, right? It's my truth. It's what I'm living in. It's the way I deceive myself. Okay, I feel better believing all this stuff about myself. So if evidence to the contrary comes up, I'm going to do what I need to do to keep it true. Jesus is sent to Pilate to be killed, more or less for insurrection against Rome. They lack the authority to kill Jesus on their own. Rome will never allow Jesus to be uh, killed for just a petty religious squabble. They, but in reality, it's pretty clear they, could be less, they couldn't be less interested in whether or not somebody's rising up against Rome because when he gives them the choice, they say, yeah, give us the insurrectionist back. The guy's already been found guilty of that. Give him back, take this guy, and kill him. And the reason is, Barabbas wasn't a threat to their truth. 
He wasn't a threat to their truth. Jesus was. They are using Rome to carry out their deeds by accusing Jesus of something they know he's not guilty of. They have, if you will, created their truth. How do we know? Well, again, after sending Jesus to death row for being a revolutionary against Rome, they ask for the release of a revolutionary. We do this, sisters and brothers, in our society every single day. When you find somebody you don't agree with, if you can't beat them on the merits of the argument, you label them, you call them a name, you make them to be something they probably are not to preserve our own truths. What we need to remain true. Much of our problem with the truth isn't that it's actually hard to find. I said that what we're clutching so tightly really isn't the truth at all. We've built our own little world, our own little universe. So even if there's evidence to the contrary, let's just say I was a terrible father, terrible husband, or whatever, I'm going to do whatever, and I'm going to start to attack whoever it's telling me that it's not the way that I think it is. And so an easy way to do it is to just see things quickly and not, and just kind of agree. Um, I'm going to show you quickly a Facebook post of a, a friend of mine who's a dyed-in-the-wool atheist, at least he thinks he is. This is about two minutes after he posted this. It was about 18 months ago. So he's an atheist. He posts this up and immediately, like, 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 starts going on. And I go, man, that thing's loaded. Let's just stop and take a look at it. It's a friend of mine. I'm not being mean or pejorative here. Because we actually discussed this at great length. Um, I want fixing, not revenge. So does the only God I'm willing to believe in, he says. All right, well, let's notice a few things. A lot of personal pronouns in there. I, 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 okay? Now, that's not necessarily wrong. It depends if you're offering your own opinion. It is just worth noticing. I want fixing, not revenge. So does the only God I'm willing to believe in. A lot of faith in your own moral compass. Right? I mean, I have a clear sense of what's right and wrong. Um, revenge is bad. Fixing is better. That's a moral claim. So it is the only God I'm willing to believe in. So God's essentially, he's implying God's essentially a cosmic meanie. And that, uh, that he's compassionate. And that he wants compassion, not revenge. Okay? Notice the phrase, willing to believe in. Does that sound like an atheist to you? doesn't to me. It sounds like a guy who's a rebel against God. That he's framed God in a particular way in his mind and is rebelling against that. He, it's not that he doesn't think God exists. It's that he's afraid he does and he's a bad guy. So before we click like, okay, this, here's the point. This is his truth, all right? The solution isn't to say, oh, I'm going to stay away from anybody who thinks that way. Or ha, 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 look at him. The guy's a brilliant person, brilliant person, okay? It's to look at that and say, okay, how, how can I expose him to the one who is truth? Not just to my own feelings on the matter. How do I expose him to somebody who was also actually about transformation and not about revenge, ironically? Right? And whether you're willing to believe in him or not is a question for you, but that doesn't change whether or not he existed. 
or exists. So in a way, it's a bit of a, of a truishism. He's not, he's not really an atheist. He's a rebel against a God he believes, ex- he believes exists who doesn't really exist. So he's rebelling against... He's like created a God that doesn't really exist, that he's rebelling against. So let's introduce him to the God who does, right? That's the approach. But you do it with compassion. You do it with grace. You do it the way that you see Jesus doing it. That's why it's so important to read what he says, to walk in the way of Christ, to understand his heart, his mission, his path, and to continue to do that every step of the way, every single day, so that when these things come up, you know how to respond. You don't lash out. You don't have to mean to people. You don't talk down to people. We don't become, oh, we don't essentially take the truth and make it a lie in how we communicate it. See, you can, bacon, steak, your favorite dish, I can serve it in a way, I guarantee you, you would not eat. I don't care how much you like it. And I think we need to pay more attention to the, to the greater weight of the, the, the weightiest commands of the law and walking in the way of Jesus every day so that when we introduce people to the truth, we're introducing them to the truth and not to an abrasive personality. But, but let me say this. Again, I want to reiterate, this is important. We do not decide the truth. We don't decide the truth. We decide what we will do with the truth once we know it, once we're aware. Gravity exists, so I don't think I'm going to jump off the stage. That's the way the process works, right? <laughs> so I think, I think I'll not do that. So I'm going to walk you through this uh, just as a way of introducing the, the, uh, the series. Can we put this up here on the screen real quick, the artwork? Let me tell you how this evolved, okay? And this is just, again, we're setting the table. We've got six weeks of this coming up. So we're going to take a look at different things. And um, So we've got, this began as a thought uh, where we were going to do the series called Truish, and it started with one person looking at a crooked painting where the canvas is tilted. All right? Then it began, it became one person tilting their head at a painting that was crooked. Then we realized this is not really an individual thing. We as a society are doing this. So it became a group of people. Is there just one truth that's off? No, there's a lot of different falsehoods out there. So maybe we ought to have more than one painting. And then it became all people in all paintings and the canvases were all tilted. Then it became all the people tilting their heads, one canvas crooked, with an illusion that the middle one is straight, even though it's not. In fact, her head is tilted the opposite way of everybody else's head. And then it became even the bulletin. If you pulled your bulletin out and you actually open it and look on the inside, everything's tilted, and your temptation is to say, I'm going to take this and tilt it so that I can write in a straight space. Right? And that's the, that's the thing that we have to realize. It's the propensity to try to make things fit what we want. To the point that eventually the art that you're looking at starts to look like whatever you want it to look like. Van Gogh, he's doing this. Mona Lisa's doing that. The old American Gothic folks on the right, they're my favorite actually in this. They're all tilted that way. And then there are two or three other points in here. I'd love to hear yours. So like when, when this is over or whatever, write them on a card or something and put them in there, but stare at it for a while. Because there are some hidden nuggets in here. And one of the beauty, beautiful things about art is that it really can 
be interpreted differently. These all represent different ways that we alter the truth. Sometimes the truth is good, it's just hanging crookedly. Sometimes the art is fine, we're looking at it crookedly. Sometimes the art is bad, we're trying to make it look good by the way we tilt our head, contort ourselves. Jesus, my friends, is altogether truthful and beautiful. Everything he does is beautiful. He can't be tilted or skewed. He can't be altered. In fact, he can't even be killed. He just is. He's truth. He's not truish. He's true. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to celebrate him now as we gather around the Lord's table. Um, and so those are going to be passing the elements. Do it. I'm going to, I'm going to take your spots. I'm going to continue to read some scripture for us as we do. And as we do, just remember uh, the Lord Jesus Christ that came to earth so that we would know the truth that would set us free. As we prepare to take the bread and cup, which symbolize the body and blood of Jesus, may these words be on our hearts. Let us pray. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Heavenly Father, we remember Jesus now with bread and cup. We remember the life that he lived and how he called us to a better way. He called us to live as he lived, to love as he loves. And so, Father, now we ask that you begin this journey into truth by highlighting the crown jewel of all truth, the, the only indisputable truth found in your word, the one who was the word made flesh. So, Lord, we pray now that your mercy, your grace, your light shine in this place, Father, that our eyes would be opened and that, Father, where we're being deceived, you would expose lies. We begin it now, Father, where we need to see the truth, that you'd hold it up in front of our faces, that you'd wave the smelling salts of Scripture under our noses, Father, that as we take this, that grace would fall in this room and that we would commit ourselves to being truthful in what we say, what we do. We love you, Lord. We honor your son now. We praise the name of Jesus as we take the bread and cup. Amen.